Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. Our guest on this show is David Jackson, Vice President of Brand for EA Sports FC. It's fair to say that David, or DJ as he's universally known, is presiding over the biggest piece of brand work seen in football for decades, the creation of EA Sports FC, the brand that will be replacing FIFA as the title of the EA Sports football video game series, which is also the best-selling sports video game series of all time. Since launching as FIFA International Soccer in 1993, FIFA has become synonymous with football culture and over the subsequent 30 years became the primary way many fans engage with the sport. Taking control of the mic on this show will be my colleague Paul Raymond. Paul will be asking DJ about the creation of the FC visual identity, as well as how the new brand goes far beyond just a logo change and what we can expect from it in the future. Over to Paul and DJ. DJ, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for your time. I presume you're probably one of the busiest people in football right now. Would that be about right? <laughs> we are pretty busy. Uh, we like to be busy here. Um, and I think, you know, over the years we've learned that um, through launching games on an annual cycle or, or even having our live services now, football kind of never sleeps. But it is particularly busy right now and we're really enjoying the opportunity to bring to life some of the work that the team has been really kind of heads down on for probably about 18 months now. So it's busy, but it's good busy. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, one thing which I wanted to kind of start with really was to kind of find out a bit about your history with FIFA as I guess as a fan and uh, in your career as well. I mean, where did that begin? What was your first FIFA? Yeah, I mean, I will. I'll probably go back even further than that and say I was a fan of the of the sport first. You know, football is a is a constant in my life and always has been. Um, I am unfortunately an Everton fan. And, you know, through grandparents and obviously like the weekly phone calls you get called to have with those grandparents. They lived in Liverpool. We lived all over the country. Um, the only conversation was really football uh, and Everton in particular and how the team's doing. My granddad had this weird habit of kind of just singing at any given time of the day. And it was always football songs. So it just kind of permeated my life from a very, very young age. My first FIFA was the first one. Uh, it was FIFA International Soccer on the Mega Drive. I do. I remember. I was looking at this the other day. I remember a player called Tiano wow. who played for Brazil. He was uh, fake because all the names were inauthentic then. Who was completely unplayable, uh, and I'd score tons of goals with him uh, and play for hours with cousins or you know kids on the street or whatever. But um, it was a fantastic game. It was, uh, as I say, completely inauthentic. In fact, we found out a brilliant fact the other day, which you'll hate me for referencing, but. Uh, there is a guy here, Nick Channon. He's our uh, head of licensing and looks after all of our relationships with the UEFA and the Premier League and everybody else. He was actually the goalkeeper for England in the very, very first uh, FIFA International Soccer. But uh, obviously, FIFA 95 came in and EA brought in club teams. And I think it was, uh, you know, it was done after that. It was uh, everything a kid in the 90s could want. I've been at EA Sports around six years. Uh, I came here by way of advertising and then banking. But as I say, kind of football's always been part of my DNA. I've said before, it's kind of the cultural constant 
through which I understand the world. And even as a kid, kind of most of my decisioning was all based on sort of win or lose or shoot or don't type stuff. Um, and I saw school and exams and even jobs and things as to, you know, stuff to compete in and win. So I think over time that's actually changed a little bit. You know, my love of the game is the same, but what I want from it is a little bit different now. I think my my main aim, especially with having three kids, is to play well and really enjoy it versus winning 5-0 and, and moving on to the next round. So football and FIFA, very, very much part of uh, of me growing up and, and really uh, from a privileged perspective, very, very much part of me now. Yeah, you have to balance it when you have children, don't you? You can't just get, yeah, you can't have like 10 nils all the time. No, you can't. Luckily for me, whenever we play video games, though, and we start getting told off, I can claim it's work. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, obviously, you mentioned there your first one being Free for International Soccer back in 95. Is that right? I think it was 94. So um, it was probably the latter end of 93, actually, was FIFA International Soccer. And then late in 94, EA brought out FIFA 95. So yeah, I would have been about 10, 9 or 10. So obviously... A lot, a lot has changed with the game since then, over like the, over those decades. I mean, but one constant was obviously the title. Yeah. When when the news broke in twenty twenty two that 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 was not going to be the case anymore, it was it was headline news quite a lot of places, including Gulp. When did your work actually begin on moving from? Well, the time was FIFA, and I guess at the, at that point you didn't know what it was going to be called, but you knew something was going to change. When did that? When did those meetings start happening? I assume it's long before we all heard about it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, to be honest, I, I would say a couple of things. One is EA is a really, a really professional, really highly intentional organization. So there's lots of planning all the time against various scenarios that might impact our experiences or the way that we bring them to players. All of our licenses, and we have many. There's over 300 pieces of licensed IP in the game, and they can be really big things like the Premier League or slightly smaller in terms of an individual license for a retired athlete. But we we continually evaluate those. You know, we measure and manage them in order to ensure value for our players, um, for us, and also for them. There's an immense amount of value that we offer back to these IP holders, um, and we do that in partnership, and, and we want to make sure that the value is is consistent. And then we run the various different game theory of what needs to be true in order that we best serve our players through the lens of the content that that IP provides. And FIFA's no different. So we were continually evaluating FIFA. Uh, FIFA rightly likes to have long-term relationships uh, with all of its um, rights holders. And we've been evaluating the FIFA license since we signed the contract last time around. And I think the world has changed to your point. Football has changed pretty significantly in that time. We've seen a huge flow towards following individual athletes. Uh, Fans now want to be closer to those athletes and the clubs that they play for. Club football is is permanent and constant across the calendar, whether you're in England, Japan, or Brazil, there's always some club football going on. And our game and our experiences run through run through the rhythm and the lens of club football. So when you're evaluating the value of that license or what that license brings in context of others, we we got to a point where we felt that the time was right, having enjoyed 30 fantastic years with FIFA and, and deriving huge benefit from them. And hopefully giving enormous benefit back, now is the right time for us to move in a different direction. It is interesting, the the EA Sports FC name has been with us since 2011. You know, we had the EA Sports Football Club in the content way back when. In FIFA 10, it was part of a, a catalog of materials or content that you could work with and build your club around. But we've had that IP for a long time. Um, and, you know, an FC is a 
is a constant in the world of football. It's a fairly universally translatable suffix for a football club. And I think the the work to creating that new brand or the work on working through whether or not this was the right approach and then how you would bring it to life in the world has has been with EA for a very, very long time. And only in the last 18 months or so have we been able to actually translate that into materials that would then go out in the world. But the thinking and the theory has been with us for a while. It's quite a long backstory then. I mean, in terms of rebrands in football or brand work, let's say in football, it's it's not different. Clubs go through it all the time. I mean, to some degree, I think Everton, your club, went through a slight branding exercise about 18, 24 months. <laughs> we did, yeah. It was very minor compared to what you're working on. Is it hyperbole to say this is probably one of the biggest brand operations in football in recent years? Yeah, it's. I mean, the scale is immense. And there's a load of nuance to it as well, Paul. So, you know, we've got we've got a global platform. There's 150 million players engaging with EA Sports FIFA experiences every year, and that's growing. But then there's also super local kind of culturalization and nuance that we need to be aware of. So even the name, FC, is, as I said, a pretty universally translatable suffix for a football club and and it makes sense to a lot of people you know 16 out of 32 or maybe maybe that's not quite right but around that number of MLS clubs in major league soccer have FC as their suffix um there's about the same level of Chinese super league teams who use it as well and obviously in western Europe and in LATAM uh FC is this is this signifier that what you're talking about here is a football club but there are local nuances to all of that it's calcio in Italy it's soccer in the US so the scale is immense and the amount of um, sort of rabbit holes that you could go down when trying to build this thing and where do you even start with it and you get that blank piece of paper in front of you and, and try and work through kind of how you move forward. That that bit of it's tough, but I don't know that it's the biggest because probably the most, most emotionally charged pieces of rebranding or changes of identity are far more likely to be the ones that have most individual meaning or resonance for you as a fan. You mentioned the Everton one. There's a ton of others in recent years that have gone well or badly. So some don't come with a huge amount of jeopardy. When you think about maybe the Premier League or Champions League rebrandings, I think they did phenomenal jobs, but ultimately it was a rearticulation of a set of values or beliefs and and then a, and then a logo at the end of it. But some are really tribal. You know, they verge on the religious kind of club crests being the best example. So in terms of FC, we set ourselves this task against two pretty solid non-negotiables of have an amount of humility in terms of the the task and the scale of it and and then a responsibility as well and, and humility in that this brand is owned by the fans it really genuinely is they name certain things within the platform that we build and it's wholly owned by them there's ways in which people play in France that are really different to the ways in which people play in England and the team realized that we were really privileged to be the ones in the seats when the music changed and then responsibility in that four things really one this is really important to EA you know, it's material to EA. FIFA has been a very, very meaningful cog in the systems and the dynamics of electronic arts for a very long time. So we need to make sure we get it right for the organization and our teams. It's also essential to our fans. You know, we've spoken about FIFA being this generational product. We're really lucky in that we've built this platform over 30 years, which enjoys similar status to a Marvel or a Star Wars in that parents play with kids and Uncles play with nieces and you play with friends across generations and across cultural and whatever else divides. And some of the feedback that we got when we first started thinking about this was kind of don't mess with my game. 
So we understand that you're doing what you're doing and that makes sense, but don't mess with it. So we got to make sure that we had a responsibility to our fans. We also called FC. There's millions of those. So we needed to be able to create an identity that stood out in a pretty crowded marketplace. And we intentionally called it that. And we intentionally knew that we had to manage that, but also we needed to be connected. You know, we couldn't create something that was so different and dimensionalized that it couldn't sit next to a Premier League logo or a Copa Libertadores logo and look really different and feel unfamiliar. So a number of parameters that we wanted to work within. And and as I said, as a result of that, the scale is immense. The passions that run through it are really palpable for our players. Um, but in the context of global football, probably the nearest thing to you is the most important. So we're aware of that too. Yeah, it's a fair balance. I mean, you mentioned the visual brand there quite a bit. I appreciate it's more than just a visual change. But visually, when you created the crest and that cut, that branding, which has been seen in a multitude of places over the past few weeks, what rules were there? Whether, although you didn't know what you necessarily wanted, did you definitely know what you didn't want? <laughs> yeah, no rules. No rules from a design perspective. Um, we really genuinely did start with a blank sheet of paper and a phenomenal amount of data and inputs, but there were some key tenants to your point that you want to pull through. We, we have some really talented people here. We are an organization that's quite unique in that we have creative directors in our studio organization. We have creative directors for the ads and the content and the materials that we build in terms of sharing our games with our, with our fans. But we, we think about identity as, as being quite separate from a logo in the way that you know literature is quite separate from writing. Identity, when constructed well, has, has these layers of meaning which can be revealed over time. And they speak to people through multiple dimensions. And our logo works hard at distilling that into a, maybe a single image or a phrase. But in itself, it's just sort of shapes and symbols. So if you have identity, real identity at the heart of your design, it does a few things. One, it kind of it tends to last. There's permanence there. And obviously, we're building a platform which we hope will last a very long time and be meaningful to people. Secondly, it kind of connects. You know, There's more than just information being shared. It, it wants to make you feel and it, and it wants to make you understand something that maybe exists tangentially to just the name or the brand. And then finally, it provokes. And if I, if I think of some of the strongest identities out there that have lasted, Nike, that swoosh certainly inspires action. Or Apple maybe inspires creativity. So there's a ton of theory around all this stuff. Some of it, some of it's intentionally esoteric, and, and what I mean by that is some of it verges on nonsense. But I do believe that strong design stays with you, uh, and there is a theory that unusual visual constructions enter the brain faster and stay there longer, and and feel immediately truthful, and and that's really helpful when building a brand for the long term. So we had no rules, but we did have some core tenets of that responsibility and that humility that I spoke to. It needed to feel true, uh, and we wanted to reveal a truth about football and our game through this new identity, and we wanted it to be meaningful for our players. You know, ultimately, this is this is for them. The decision that we've taken is in order to be able to create the experiences they they will and should demand from us, um, and our ability to be a bit more fluid in how we deliver them is 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 a big part of this. Well, I'm sure many people listening to this will will be aware of what the new brand logo looks like, the triangles, the promo video that obviously featured them quite heavily. For anyone who hasn't, would you be able to kind of give us a, uh, an, an idiot's guide to why triangles are everywhere? <laughs> yeah, they certainly can. <clears throat> Ted Lasso actually recently did a very, very good job of it. That was so um, kind. I saw the episode. <laughs> and that has to be some sort of EA Ted Lasso partnership coming around again. Well, so we're very close to those guys. Um, and Jason and the team, we were, we've been speaking to them for a very, very long time. I think even before 
Apple commissioned the series. We we spoke to them, and we know they're big FIFA fans. Um, but yeah, that 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 Amsterdam episode that they just ran, uh, we all sort of Sam watched it, and then couldn't quite believe how similar some of the constructs were. But but I'll tell you kind of how it came about. We we had this intentionally provocative line in the brief that we gave to our creative agency, which was that football comes in in many different colors, but only very few shapes. And what we actually meant by that was, you know, we we get this access to this phenomenal tapestry of football, whether it's the white of Real Madrid or the yellow wall of Dortmund. Football comes in this sort of technicolor landscape. So it's really tough, actually, for us to to pin our colors to a mast and pick a, pick a color scheme, which is something that you'd ordinarily start with, I think, in devising a brand language uh, or a brand identity. But, but actually, football only comes in very few shapes. And what we meant by that is we obviously think very strategically about the way that fans experience the game and the three shapes that we understand it via are the active, kind of the first and most immediate sense of the game. You know, somebody kicks you a ball, you either kick it back or don't. And there's millions and billions even of people all over the world playing football physically. So we have the active shape of it. There's then the passive shape of it. It's arguably the biggest. It's being just a fan. You know, you buy a scarf, you watch a game on TV, you read a, uh, a news article or listen to a podcast from Goal, and that's the passive form of entertainment. And then we're the interactive one. We're the third one. We're the newest one. We're arguably uh, in that most nascent category. And in there, there's other stuff like fantasy football or whatever, but they're the kind of three shapes of how people engage in football. And then through really talented internal creative teams and then some fantastic agency partners, we took that line a lot more literally and thought about the shapes of football. Uh, and it's actually fairly straightforward when you think about it. It's fairly logical. Uh, there are some really obvious shapes in football. The sphere of the ball, the rectangles of either the, the goal structure or the you know the pitch markings. But we really needed one that spoke to the soul of the sport and that was true of our games too. And triangles are the language of the beautiful game. You know, you think about Cruyff and Pep and all the stuff that Ted uh, imagined in his sort of weird fever dream. But that beautiful, flowing, mesmeric football that fans love, you know, the football that we all aspire for our teams to play is also true of EA Sports. And when we looked into it, those very original first games that we built, you know, we spoke about FIFA International Soccer or FIFA 95, they existed on this isometric view. And that was intentional because 8-bit games didn't really support 3D. Um, So you change the viewing angle and you make that 3D kind of come to life through sort of positioning. And then there's the, the polygons in the game. You know, when we speak to our studio team and they were talking about this kind of triangle idea one of the guys said well yeah actually you know the very atomic unit of our game the very smallest polygon that makes up the game they're all triangular so at that point you kind of think you're onto something and then the obvious one is the player indicator symbol that that sits above every athlete's head in every game and that's the one that really nailed it for us you know that is a symbol that's unique to our platform even if you put a triangle above the heads of players on a highlight reel it would it would start to look like fifa so we didn't want an identity that was purely true of football because anybody could do that. We couldn't have one that was only purely true of gaming. I think we blur the lines between real and virtual football as well as anybody. And and it was the combination of the two that led us to triangles. And that was a, was a pretty nice unlock for us. Yeah, it just it seemed to make sense. I wondered if it was one of those opportunities where when it happened, you're like, that's been staring us around the face this whole time. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it probably wasn't quite as romantic as that. There's a, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes with the teams, and there's like 5,000 different iterations of whether or not 
the triangle was a, a useful construct for us, but it was great looking to start, or at least an interesting looking thing, but it really, it did need a story. And again, what did it for us and what did it for our team was the, the magician's trick of it always being there. You know, it's always been part of our DNA. It was hiding in plain sight. You know, we didn't actually have to go and construct a new identity. It was always with us and we just had to reveal it. And that kind of Kaiser Soze moment probably only happens very now and again when building these types of things. But there's real energy when it does happen. And there was a moment in the room where kind of everybody looked around and thought that we were onto something. Yeah, it seems to make sense. Back when the uh, news broke about the parting with FIFA, there was um, some talk from yourself as well about how that represents an opportunity for the game. What was your um, what was your meaning behind that? What opportunities um, are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, we we genuinely think, and I think the data would support that uh, football um, is growing and will continue to grow. And then the interactive form of the game has limitless potential when you think about the advent of new technologies, which allow us to democratize access to the game. Or when you think about just the fact that the ability to, to play a controlling role, you know, the ability to be able to interact really effectively with the sport in a way that you can't, if you're watching on linear broadcast or even playing to a certain extent, you can't be Leo Messi. Um, but you can in our game. And we think that the growth potential there is, is immense. So what we meant by the opportunity was the fact that we now have limitless potential to explore new areas that some of our players are already asking for uh, in terms of the ability to integrate maybe broadcast highlights or content or uh, different access points into the game, different versions of control or what we would call modes within our product is really interesting. But the main one, uh, and the one that we've spoken most uh, meaningfully about with our studio teams is just it's a shift in mindset. You know, you move away from renting the farm for so long and you begin to own it, you think differently about how you curate that experience and how you build it. And there's no limits on the imagination of our creative teams now. And that kind of manifests in a few ways. FIFA was, as I said, a, a fantastic partner. And it authenticated and verified us and our platform very early on in our existence as being the de facto authentic football experience. It was really, really valuable for us. But as kind of the scope and scale of our business grows, we need to have freedom in genre or modality of play or platform choice for our great football experiences. And and FIFA rightly had some contractual stipulations on us that meant that we were limited to simulation football or other areas. And we know football's popularity extends far beyond that. We have an opportunity now to explore the broadest possible dimensions of global fandom through our, through our experiences. There's then also partner networks. So again, FIFA has its OLPs, its kind of partners, and they were understandably given a lot of primacy over FIFA-branded products, including our EA Sports FIFA games. And that meant some restrictions on major investors in football, uh, you know, in the apparel or technology broadcast or, or consumer goods categories. And, and it limited their access to our platform and our access to them. So those restrictions are now removed as well. And, and EA Sports will generate significant benefit for our players from joint activations or being able to connect the dots across the football landscape. And then the final one is, is true ownership, true platform ownership. So FIFA continues to to have and claim ownership over many parts of the global football landscape, and that can extend through player rights, broadcast contracts, league constructions, and whatever. And that's challenging, you know, uh, in, a, in an organization that is, um, is so influential and where maybe some of that influence starts to extend to some of their partners, and as it scales its, its power and its influence, the opportunity to present our platform as some way available 
to partners that we weren't necessarily aligned to creates a little bit of instability and and for our company, for our player relationships, actually for the relationships we work so hard on cultivating with those federations like UEFA or or leagues like the Premier League that are vital to our player experience. So removing the perception of of joint ownership, which there was not, there was a license agreement, and creating the conditions where we had absolute primacy over our platform and, and could reassert our position in interactive football was important. So without being able to go into specifics, and some some of those specifics will come later on in the year, we feel like there's an immense amount of freedom and there's a mindset shift now for what we might be able to achieve through our games. Something that's come across quite quite clearly in the uh, press you've put out is by looking ahead to the future. And we appreciate like a lot of age groups play the game. Um, you've mentioned it yourself, your children play it up to various ages. What have you seen from, maybe from your own experience as well, and obviously I presume extensive research, about how young people now are engaging with FIFA? So pretty much, I'm pretty sure they probably wouldn't rate me, maybe even recognize FIFA International Soccer from um, like 94 and 95. Yeah, I mean, the game has evolved immensely uh, over that time. We've, we've got videos here and pieces of content here that kind of show that progression. And it's it's literally like, you know, the evolution of man type thing. It's It's gone from those really loved and, and, and sort of from a rose-tinted spectacle perspective, kind of um, hugely engaged in 8-bit games all the way now to where maybe certain uh, certain times and, and for certain audiences, you can't kind of distinguish it from the real thing. So we've evolved the game in terms of the visual quality immensely over time. But also what, what young people and, and Gen Z and Gen A expect from an experience has changed uh, pretty considerably. And there are different consumption patterns now. We've noticed, as I said before, a shift away from kind of a tribal love of a local team towards a uh, an affection for an individual athlete and wherever Messi goes is who I'm going to support. You know, I see that with my own son. He's obsessed with Kylian Mbappe and Mbappe could play for any, probably anyone but Liverpool, probably, I think, I hope that. And and Harry would, uh, would follow him, you know, wherever he goes. So I think we've seen shifts in behavior, shifts in attitude, certainly shifts in consumption patterns um, where I don't think there is the propensity now to want to sit and watch 90 minutes of uh, you know Burnley versus Stoke um, and that's no offense to those teams at all and actually Burnley are playing fabulous football but there is there's like a lack of desire for the middle bits they want action they want the highlights there are certain sports that have really benefited from that you know you think about basketball basketball is a game of highlights and I think a lot of popularity of that sport the acceleration of the popularity of that sport has been down to the fact that it's all action all the time. So football's different. It's a bit more of a flowing kind of symphony of of experience. And you've got to understand that a great nil-nil can be played out sometimes. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily always register with a, a younger cohort who want a little bit more from it. So we've had to, to manage those consumption pattern changes. We've had to tune that within our experiences to make sure that we're delivering on the expectations of players. We actually... We have a fabulous relationship with with lots of different players across the sports landscape, whether it's IP rights holders or, or broadcasters. And, you know, you go and speak and try and spend time with those people who really get it. They really, truly understand their audience and they understand what they want in order to learn. And we had this fantastic meeting with, uh, with Sky Sports where we spoke to them about what we call the W. So Champions League games, uh, pre-game, we have hugely high engagement. We can see that in our servers and we can spot that in kind of spikes in uh, in interaction and then in the first half it drops off 
half time, it spikes, second half it falls off again, and full time it's high. And we see that as a W in our servers and kind of the um, the load on our servers. And this guy kind of sat back and one of the guys there said, uh, that's uh, that's amazing. We uh, we have an M and, and it's completely inverted. And, and obviously that's true. So I think over time, the the ability to be able to blend those two things and allow for players at half time to kind of change the result through our experiences or or work with fantastic broadcasters who truly understand the dem- demographic to be able to supply those experiences that exist between the games. Um, we've spoken before about our platform being the game between the games is really there and uh, and we'll continue to monitor that closely. As I said, we have a wealth of data here. EA is a very intentional, very data-driven organization. It understands players really well. And I think um, we'll continue to evolve our experiences in concert with what's desired. In terms of Gen A and Gen Z, I mean, I, I am kind of trying to read between the lines here, but I presume the introduction of uh, music acts applying kits for Ultimate Team or um, the use of uh, characters like Dua Lipa and um, Anthony Joshua in Volta. Was that, is that an obvious like Gen Z, Gen A play? Is that what you're trying to do there by seeing what you can do with the game that goes, takes it outside of traditional kind of like football boundaries? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, I think the fab, we notice and we register that the fabric of football is woven with lots of different uh, adjacent experiences. Music's really, really part of it. Popular culture and fashion over the last little while um, has been really kind of inspired by football in a way that maybe. In the 90s and early 2000s, basketball culture really impacted hip-hop or it really impacted kind of the way in which certain brands, specifically Nike, kind of presented their uh, their offering. So I think football has now become a canvas for lots of different experiences, lots of different entertainment adjacencies to play. And we notice that too, and we want to be able to offer a broad expanse of experiences through our platform. So you'll find that music has always will be um, a massive part of what makes up an EA Sports football experience and FIFA soundtracks over over the longest time have been so impactful. You know, it kind of charted people's adolescence or their experience growing up in the world of football is kind of what track was on FIFA at any given time, whether it's Blur Song 2 or Kasabian or whatever. So we know the power of, of those cultural adjacencies. I wouldn't necessarily say it's purely a Gen Z, Gen A play. Music means a lot of things to a lot of people as does fashion and popular culture. We've obviously seen a fantastic overlap with broadcast TV content through our partnership with with Apple and, and Ted Lasso. And players love that. You know, they love being able to get out there with AFC Richmond and play in the same way that they want to play with, I was about to say Everton, probably not right now, uh, but Real Madrid or Barcelona or anyone else. So when you can blur the lines between those things, I think you expand your audience, which is important to us, but you also expand their experience, which is immensely important to them. And frankly... Um, we should all be trying to lean into as we grow the love of football all over the world. One thing which we've um, picked up through our own research, this is particularly pro- um, prominent with much coveted Gen A and Gen Z as we keep talking about, is their um, their relationship with women's football. And that's very yeah. different. I mean, you had Sam Kerr on the cover of the, um, well, the, I say last, uh, last game, the current game, let's call it. And obviously every few months, it seems at the moment, there's a new league which gets introduced on new um, female characters. Is this something you're expecting to kind of see grow with FIFA and with the demands of uh, a younger audience who want more than uh, maybe would have traditionally found in FIFA? Yeah, we absolutely recognize that. You know, it's phenomenally important for us that we elevate and accelerate women's football through our platform. We've spent a ton of time properly trying to educate ourselves and understand the fabric of women's football at a cultural, historic, 
uh, kind of physical level, the rhythm of women's football and then how it differs and how it changes from men's. Um, the value of women's football out there in the football business. We've worked with various different strategic partners to get under the skin of what that means and and spent around two years before we even introduced the first versions of women's club football into FIFA 23. And and I think the the opportunity is immense and the the opportunity for us to establish kind of a platform for women's football to grow and scale is meaningful. We actually spent a ton of time more recently with with partners at Commabol and they have this expression that football is football and and nothing could be more true than that i think we've we found over time that fans just they love the game they love the characters within the game i think you mentioned sam kerr in your question we're really really privileged to work with somebody as authentic and someone who transfers their love of the game so seamlessly and effortlessly from themselves to their communities and their fans and we spent a ton of time with her, understanding from her what it means and what it what it feels like and what it sounds like to be a female footballer right now at the advent of what we hope and what we believe will be a phenomenal rise for that sport within the game. So you're right, there's lots of new content coming to the platform. Even in FIFA 23, we added a bunch of leagues and we'll continue to do that. People can expect that to grow and scale because we think that we can access a brand new demographic through that content and we can serve players with the content that they they love and they're, they're beginning to kind of start a lifelong love affair with with those leaks and uh, we're, we're in a great position to be able to do that and we recognize that for a lot of Gen Z, Gen A players, football is football. Before we go, I mean, one thing which you spoke very passionately about the game, both past, present and future and your, and your own relationship with it as well. Is it possible to kind of distill it to one thing that you're most looking forward to about EAFC and I appreciate that much of what's to come is yet to be announced yeah absolutely and you know we there is this so much that we're really excited to to be able to communicate to our community and, and the wider world of football but I think I, I feel an immense a privilege probably an overused word in these contexts but I do feel an immense amount of privilege to be here when the music changes you know we're building on the work that has been delivered by a ton of people on the on the EA side to, to put us in this position both on a studio side, our business leaders, our senior most executives have put us in this phenomenal position to be able to succeed on behalf of our players. If I could distill it down to one thing, I think it's the opportunity to build what we would believe to be the world's biggest football club. You know, inside our organization, that's incredibly inspiring and energizing in EA Sports. And, and in the rest of the world, hopefully it's a club that everybody can feel part of and there's a place for everybody within it. Um, we're going to offer ever-increasing access to our platform and the, the IP that we pull together within it for players and inspire the world of uh, the world with a, a love of football. So building that club, curating that club and that experience and ensuring the longevity of that club and that it continues to deliver on the promises that it makes is a massive opportunity, a great privilege and something that me and my team and the whole team here at EA Sports is incredibly excited about. That's fantastic. DJ, thanks for your time. I'm sure you've got a lot to do. So we'll... Um... We'll let you go and say thank you. And uh, yeah, look forward to what we're going to see in the near future. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Really appreciated your your time today. And, and thanks to everyone on the team at Golf. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.